Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Alternate Oscars. I am your host, Gabe Guarin, and with every episode, I, along with a special guest, will be celebrating and rewarding our favorite films of each year, starting in 1928. We will discuss and share our brief thoughts on each film we nominate, and comment on the actual Oscar year and some fun details on the ceremony. A few rules we always follow. We will be strictly following the reminder list of eligible releases. Those can be found on the website and the Oscar goes too. The amount of categories will also grow over time as a sort of tie-in to the Academy's evolution over time. With all that said, I would like to welcome my latest guest, Amy Thomason. She's a writer for In Session Film, as well as an avid cinephile and drama teacher. Amy, welcome. It's so nice to have you on here. Thank you. It's nice to be a guest. I appreciate being asked, as always. <laughs> so, um, I guess I should start off asking, how are you doing today? How's your day been? My day has been pretty low-key, thank goodness. But I'm healthy, which is more than I can say for a lot of people, yeah. so I'm lucky. Same. Um, I do hope everyone is staying safe and healthy and smart during these times. Yes. Yes. So, today we are going to be talking about the films of 1940. What an exciting year. And I think a good place to start would be to ask, what were your favorite films from this year that were not eligible? This can be any film that was released in 1940 that was not on the reminder list of eligible releases. I personally have none. I have none. <laughs> this is going to be a short segment. I have none. Yeah. The movies that were eligible were more than enough to win all, to deserve the awards that they were nominated yeah. for. That was fun. So, with all that said, mm -hmm. it's time to announce our nominees. Starting with the last category, special effects, ending with best picture, and we take turns announcing our nominees and winners with the guest going first. Okay, so do I tell you the winner um, now um, or just, just, just the nominees? nominees? Okay, best special effects. I have The Thief of Baghdad, Dr. Cyclops, Foreign Correspondent, Rebecca, and the Seahawk. That is a very good set of nominees. Mine are Dr. Cyclops, The Long Voyage Home, Rebecca, The Seahawk, and The Thief of Baghdad. Next is okay. Best Film Editing. Oh, this is a good, this was a good year for this category. Uh, the Grapes of Wrath, his Girl Friday, The Thief of Baghdad, The Great Dictator, and Foreign Correspondent. Nice. All very well edited films. My nominees are... Very well done. The Grapes of Wrath, His Girl Friday, The Letter, Rebecca, and The Thief of Baghdad. Next is... Best Cinematography Color, or Color Cinematography. 
Okay. I had the Thief of Baghdad, Dr. Cyclops, Northwest Mounted Police, Northwest Passage, and the Blue Bird. And I have the same set of nominees. <laughs> Very yes. nice. There wasn't a whole lot to pick from, but we managed. It, yes. Because the black and white movies carried this year. Yeah. So next is best black and white cinematography. Okay, and this was a this is a tough category. The Grapes of Wrath, Rebecca, The Letter, The Great Dictator, and Foreign Correspondent. I wanted to name the movies rather than the people because that's just how I did it when I took yeah. my notes. <laughs> I list people, but it's um, just easier to list the films. Yes. So my nominees are, I think I have the same five as you. Foreign Correspondent, The Grapes of Wrath, mm -hmm. The Great Dictator, The Letter, and Rebecca. All right. So next, we have Best Art Direction. Okay, I had Rebecca, The Thief of Baghdad, The Letter, The Grapes of Wrath, and The Philadelphia Story. Nice. I mixed it up a little bit on that one. Yeah, there were there was a lot of great production design this year. And My nominees are Foreign Correspondent, The Letter, Port of Shadows, Rebecca, and The Thief of Baghdad. I did consider one of the MGM okay. productions, like Pride and Prejudice, which stole the award from Rebecca. Yeah. And then there's Philadelphia Story and Waterloo Bridge, but these five are the ones I settled on. Mm. And we will get to that because there's definitely reasons why I picked yeah. some of these. Oh, and um, All This in Heaven 2 would have also been a good nominee. Mm -hmm. So next is Best Makeup. Okay, I had The Thief of Baghdad, The Seahawk, Rebecca... The Mortal Storm and Abe Lincoln in Illinois. And I think I have the same set of nominees. I have Abe Lincoln in Illinois, <laughs> The Mortal Storm, Rebecca, The Seahawk, and The Thief of Baghdad. Thief Baghdad was a big one for those technical yeah, awards. Such a grand technical showcase. And, a, and another great yes. Alexander Korda production. Mm -hmm. He was just one of the leading figures of the early film industry in London and Britain. Yeah. So next we have Best Costume Design. All right. I had The Philadelphia Story, Rebecca, The Thief of Baghdad, 
Waterloo Bridge and Pride and Prejudice. And I did want to give a special shout out to the costumer in His Girl Friday because of that hat that Rosalind Russell wears at the beginning oh, of the yes, film. That hat. She just has this she has this great hat. That's like a classic hat. Great hat, beautiful hat. Yes. So my nominees are All This in Heaven Too. Pride and Prejudice, The Thief of Baghdad, Waterloo Bridge, and Rebecca. The Philadelphia story okay. just barely missed out. And they had Adrian, and that was a big designer yeah. back in the day. That wedding dress and that little thing she wears over her bathing suit, that white yeah. dress thing. He designed the costumes for Camille, those great gowns that Greta Carmel wears, and the Wizard of Oz, and so oh, many yeah. great designs for him. And he... Yes, that's why I had to do the Philadelphia story. He also designed story. Pride and Prejudice <laughs> and Waterloo Bridge. Yep. So next we have Best Sound Recording. I'm going to preface this with this is a category I don't really know a lot about, so take this with a grain of salt. Uh, the Grapes of Wrath, His Girl Friday, Rebecca, The Seahawk, and The Thief of Baghdad. Nice. So, my nominees are Foreign Correspondent, The Grapes of Wrath, His Girl Friday, The Seahawk, and The Thief of Baghdad. It is nice hard pick. to describe like the specific details of sound unless you're like super well versed in the, those terminologies, but His Girl Friday is famous for like the sped up dialogue. Yep. So next totally. we have best original song. You'll notice I have a trend with mine. When You Wish Upon a Star, Down the Argentine Way, Strike Up the Band, Spring Parade, and Give a Little Whistle. I've got two from Pinocchio. Nice. So my nominees are I Concentrate on You from Broadway Melody of 1940, Jitterbug Fight from Dance Girl Dance, Our Love Affair from Strike Up the Band, See what the boys in the back room will have from Destry Rides Again. And When You Wish Upon a Star from Pinocchio. I did consider multiple songs from Pinocchio, but I didn't want to let that film get too greedy. That and I, it's one of my son's favorite movies, so we've watched this movie a lot. So it's really, there's not a bad song in the entire movie. Of They're course. all amazing. So, next we have Best Original Score. Okay. Uh, Pinocchio, The Mask of Zorro, Rebecca, The Thief of Baghdad, and The Seahawk. Nice. So, my nominees are The Mark of Zorro, Pinocchio, Rebecca, 
the Seahawk, and the Thief of Baghdad. Nice. I just love the, um, the early Miklos Rosa scores that he did for all those quarter productions. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, I just they're beautiful. remember watching like, the In Memoriam uh, ceremony on YouTube for the 2003 ceremony. And they used his theme oh, yeah. from the Thief of Baghdad. The love theme. Oh, yeah. It's one of the all-time yeah. greats. Yeah. And what a great career. I wish that they would go back to um, a more traditional In Memoriam segment. Because I feel like they used this gorge mm-hmm. very effectively in those montages. Oh, definitely. Very effectively. So next is Best Foreign Film. Okay. Uh, June Knight, Vasilisa the Beautiful, and the Well Digger's Daughter. I have the same three. I had to do some research as to what would have met the criteria for the Academy um, at this time. Mm-hmm. Had they had a, a foreign film category. And I did not get chance to see these films but admittedly but uh, I did the same thing I had to do some research so I'm not going to be able to yeah. talk extensively about this nobody's at perfect. all <laughs> nobody's perfect so next we have best adapted screenplay this is a yeah. tight category where really any of them could have won. But I have opinions on what my, my pick was my pick. The Grapes of Wrath, His Girl Friday, The Philadelphia Story, Rebecca, and The Shop Around the Corner. And I think I have the same five. It, I mean, really. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me. I, strongly- <laughs> I mean, oh, um, all of... You go ahead. <laughs> No, I just you can't argue any of that any of these deserved a nomination. Yeah. And you could really come to blows or any day of the week change your mind about which one of these is the quote yeah. unquote best. And Yeah, but um like I said, I have the same five and I strongly considered the letter, which is a great adaptation of the W. Somerset Maham uh, novel or play. I can't remember which one it is. He was such a crazy writer. Yeah. Such a crazy and writer. What I find notable is that you have two adaptations of novels that are more mm-hmm. story driven alongside the, um, mm-hmm. the characters and the dialogue. And then Three of them are these dialogue-heavy play adaptations that put the emphasis on the comedy and the romance. And and I'm lucky that I've actually read the book, The Grapes of Wrath and Rebecca, so I was able to kind of compare the book to the film and how well they adapted oh, it. Yeah, I have 
seen some people say that it's not a great adaptation of the novel The Grapes of Wrath. Or at least not faithful. Uh, the end the end of the book and the end of the movie give you two completely different emotions. Uh. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. I might have to we'll get there. <laughs> I don't really It's a hard one to get into. It's about until they actually get on the road to California, it takes kind of forever. But once they do, it goes by pretty quickly. Yeah. So next we have best original screenplay. All right, I had Foreign Correspondent, The Great Dictator, The Great McGinty, Remember the Night, and My Favorite Wife. And I have the same five. Yay. I find The Great McGinty pretty interesting because it's um, Preston Sturge's debut as director. And... The yes. great Preston Sturges, yes. We have so many future hits that we will cover later in this podcast. Mm-hmm. And Remember the Night is one of the films he wrote that was directed by Mitchell Leeson, who I'd say is a fairly underrated director. Oh, yeah. And it has a great Barbara Stanwyck performance. Oh, every every performance that Barbara Stanwyck gave yes. was a great Barbara Stanwyck <laughs> performance. I love, I love, 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 love me yes, some Barbara she Stanwyck. Was, she's amazing. Oh, love, love, love. Everything, even, I mean, the Thornbirds, I was raised on that TV miniseries. And I've read that, I read that book like once a year. It's like my all-time favorite book with Gone with the Wind. And she nailed that role. And this was like in the eighties, and she was still. She looked first of all. She looked amazing, and she gave an amazing performance of this really rich, amazing character. Love you, Barbara Stanwyck. Love you. Give me a call. <laughs> so next we have best supporting actress, where I had to make some tough cuts. Yes, I made yes okay so actress in a supporting role i'm gonna start from my bottom up uh marjorie rambo for primrose path virginia wilder will welder however you pronounce her name from the philadelphia story for those of you out there she played the younger sister dinah uh Barbara O'Neill for All This in Heaven 2, Judith Anderson from Rebecca, and Jane Darwell for The Grapes of Wrath. So I see you stuck pretty closely to the Academy's lineup, aside from switching the Philadelphia Story ladies. I bumped I bumped Ruth Hussey because I just the performance, that entire character is just I don't it's like almost like she doesn't even need to be in the entire story that argument. she cut i mean she is but at the end it's i have problems with the end of that movie but that's just me 
So for my lineup is Seal Ball for Dance Girl Dance, Jane Darwell for The Grapes of Wrath, Paulette Goddard for The Great Dictator, Judith Anderson for Rebecca, and Ida Lupino for They Drive By Night. The top two in this category is another one that if you ask me at one hour of a day and then you ask me two hours later, I'll probably change my mind because I think we have two of the best nominees ever in this category yeah. in this lineup. They really are. like, Yeah. Two of the best. Yeah. Like you said, two of the best nominated in this category. And ever and both of them who whichever one won was going to be one of the top like yeah. 10 in this category and they're iconic one of them i think could have been a lead been considered a lead i know that she never would have been given a nomination as a lead but her role is definitely lead material role in my opinion okay Best what's the next category Okay, I have Walter Brennan for The Westerner, Albert Besterman for Foreign Correspondent, John Carradine for The Grapes of Wrath, Jack Oakey for The Great Dictator, and James Stevenson for The Letter. That's a solid list of nominees. So mine are... John Carradine for The Grapes of Wrath, Jack Oakey for The Great Dictator, Akim Tomaroff for The Great McGinty, George Sanders for Rebecca, and Walter Brennan for The Westerner. George Sanders was, was very, was like my sixth nominee. Yeah. It feels like it's his warm-up for All About Eve, playing, like, a snotty, snooty, patootie cad. And he's so good at playing that role. Everything that we... He absolutely is, even when he's playing Shere Khan in The Jungle Book. <laughs> that voice is everything. And I, when I did research on... George Sanders, I didn't realize that he had a very tragic life and death. Oh, it is sad. Sad. But he gave us so much. And he was the best at, yeah. at what he did. So, my nom... Oh, sorry. So next we have Best Actress. Okay. Ginger Rogers for Kitty Foyle, Betty Davis for The Letter, Joan Fontaine for Rebecca, Katherine Hepburn for The Philadelphia Story, and Rosalind Russell for His Girl Friday. Nice. What a set of nominees. So next, I think oh, so. Sorry. So my nominees are Rosalind Russell for His Girl Friday. Betty Davis for The Letter, Catherine Hepburn for The Philadelphia Story, Joan Fontaine for Rebecca, and Margaret Sullivan for The Shop Around the Corner. 
very solid list. Again, a solid, solid, solid year where pretty much most of these actresses could have won yeah. and would have deserved and... it. This was quite a year for strong female performances. And there were so many others that could have made my lineup, like Vivian Lee for Waterloo Bridge, Barbara Stanwyck, Remember the Nights, and even Ginger Rogers and Martha Scott in Our Town are solid for, despite the problems with their movies. And after watching, honestly, after watching Jane Darwell in The Grapes of Wrath, she had pretty much just as much screen time as Henry Fonda, and her character was just as significant to the story as Henry Fonda's. And she's amazing. And gut-wrenching and wonderful. Yeah. But there's no way she would have ever been nominated for lead actress, and she also would not have won. So, there's that. But, shout-out Jane Darnwell because you rock. So next is Best Actor. All right. Okay, here we go. Mr. James Stewart for The Philadelphia Story. Charlie Chaplin in The Great Dictator. Henry Fonda in The Grapes of Wrath. Cary Grant for The Philadelphia Story. And Cary Grant for His Girl Friday. I couldn't decide which one he deserved the nomination for more, so I just gave him both. And the fact that he wasn't nominated at all is shocking and and wrong. And when you consider what he did get nominated for, like Penny Serenade and None But the Lonely Hearts, That second one is indefensible. Really? I actually like him in Penny Serenade, but the ending really lets him down. Like, that ending is, like, one of the worst endings I've ever seen. Well, yes, and on another note, I only realized in the past year that Henry Fonda, who had this ridiculous one of the greatest filmographies of like any actor ever was only nominated two times for best actor the grapes of wrath and then when he was 80 for on golden pond that's it he was not nominated for the oxbow incident 12 angry men nada the lady eve i mean he had one of the, again, one of the longest and most distinguished. Mr. Roberts, he wasn't nominated. Sh- I was shocked when I learned that. And it really makes me angry because he's one of the greatest actors of all time. And all he did yeah, was give great upsetting. performances. Like, so. At least he like, how did this eventually. happen? way eventually when he was like 900 years old which is really sad but again like his performance yeah just shocked when i saw that so my nominees are henry fonda for the grapes of wrath charlie chaplin for the great dictator of course cary grant and his girl friday james stewart in the philadelphia story 
and Lawrence Olivier for Rebecca. Larry almost made my cut, but I, like I said, I was having this massive internal debate about the Philadelphia story or his girl Friday. And he's just so positively charming and wonderful in both of them. So yeah, Better sorry, Larry, time, but better luck next time. Also the fact that he played such a jerk made it easy to cut him. I'm not a big fan of uh, Maxim Duinta. I guess I'll get more into my thoughts on uh, Maxim Duinta okay. uh, a bit later, but <laughs> I guess I have different thoughts on that character, at least okay. the film. And with someone like Harry mm-hmm. Grant, he could have easily been nominated for the Philadelphia story, but I just feel like he made Walter Burns like the character that he is known as today more so than any other actor even like Adolf Walter Walter <laughs> but yes like I need to pick up that kind of an accent cuz it just makes me laugh yes it's just so fabulous but like I said, Walter. I think I don't know who played Walter Burns in Billy Walter's version, but the point is, Cary Grant is the definitive version of Walter Burns from what I've seen. Yeah, I need to go back and watch the front page. Hildy, Hildy. So next is. Best director. <sighs> All right. I had Alfred Hitchcock for Rebecca, Howard Hawks for His Girl Friday, John Ford for The Grapes of Wrath, George Cukar for The Philadelphia Story, and Charlie Chaplin for The Great Dictator. Nice. And my nominees were John Ford for The Grapes of Wrath. Charlie Chaplin for The Great Dictator, Howard Hawks for His Girl Friday, George Cukor for The Philadelphia Story, and Alfred Hitchcock for Rebecca. So I think we have the same. Yes. And. Okay, and last but not least. Outstanding production. Best picture. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, the Thief of Baghdad. Pinocchio. The Great McGinty. The Philadelphia Story. The Great Dictator. Foreign Correspondent. The Shop Around the Corner. Kitty Foyle. Rebecca. Nice. And the Grapes of Wrath. The Great McGinty was my 11th place for Best Picture. It just barely missed the cut. <laughs> Just on the dialogue alone. And those awesome, like, brawling mm-hmm. scenes. Oh, yeah. But my nominees are Born Correspondent, The Grapes of Wrath, The Great Dictator, His Girl Friday, The Letter, The Philadelphia Story, 
Pinocchio, Rebecca, The Shop Around the Corner, and The Thief of Baghdad. Indeed. And I definitely, even looking at this list, know which movie I think is the weakest. Uh, but that's not... But that's but not it was pretty so. a knock on the film. Yeah, it's just compared to... And the lasting, I mean, the lasting effect of some of these movies. Yeah. And when we get back, we will announce our winners. After these messages, we'll be right back. 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 Yeah. After these messages, we'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. All right. Okay, so now we go back. So, and now it is time to announce our winners. So we're starting with best, special what, special effects. effects? Okay. On a lot of the technical things, I don't have an enormous amount to say, but it is what it is. Um, best special effects, I had foreign correspondent. Here's why. I had never seen this movie before. I never heard of this movie before. After I watched it, that plane crash at the end, for some reason really affected me more than any other modern day plane crash I've ever seen in a movie. For some reason, I felt like I was on that plane and I was crashing and it terrified me. So I knew I had to give it the best special effects award. Hitchcock did that to you. Like, he Hitchcock did. Was- and think of how often nowadays we see things crash. That's We see it all the time but in this film I felt like I was on the plane and I never felt like that before so bravo Hitch yeah my winner is the thief of Baghdad which also makes sense yeah just everything that had to go into that to make it look the way it does magical yes magic and it has more impact than most modern day special effects, even though it may be more dated in that sense. It's exactly. Okay. Best film editing. Yes. I also had, I picked foreign correspondence because that was a tight story and then all of a sudden at the end, it was like an action story. It was like an action movie. So there was all, it had great dialogue and the scene where they're in the, um, I want to say the mill. It's not the mill. The um, windmill. Just amazing. I think the editing was amazing. My second choice, which I know doesn't matter, would have been His Girl Friday because of the dialogue and the constant 
the movement in that film was amazing and the dialogue but foreign correspondent because it was great action and great dialogue and that's not always easy to edit yeah and it was dorothy spencer who edited that film and she was practically a legend in her field She okay. did so many great films like Stagecoach and To Be or Not to Be mm-hmm. and My Darling Clementine. The list goes on. Okay. So my winner is Rebecca. Nice. And I just felt like it was such a well-constructed story in terms of the gothic atmosphere and that final ending scene is so well edited and yeah oh it's just immaculate and again so many of them you know and a lot of these categories this year there was such a wealth of great films that so many of them like this movie could have won and it would have been a great deserved win or another movie could have won and it would have been a great deserved win but foreign correspondent folks at home go see this movie go see it because it is very very good and i'd never even heard of it yeah an underrated hitchcock very underrated so next we have best color cinematography I think there's really one obvious choice here, and that is The Thief of Baghdad. Yes. It's crazy, it's colorful, it's pretty. It's everything a best cinematography winner needs to be. I guess the only possible runner-up might be the Northwest Mounted Police, which won film editing. Yeah. Um, But, eh. The Thief of Baghdad, that's all that matters. Yeah. Next we have Best Black and White Cinematography. Oh, I'm very passionate about this one, and I have my specific example. The Grapes of Wrath by the great Greg Tolan, who would later go on to do all the Orson Welles things. The use of lighting is breathtaking. Do you remember the scene at the beginning of the movie where that guy Muley and Tom Jode and they're all like in that deserted house and I think they like light a match and the lighting on his face it reminded me of the beginning of The Godfather. I was like this is unbelievable and you felt like you were in that darkness and they've like i said and it's like lit by a match and the lighting for that that's when i watched the movie i was like that is best cinematography i looked it up it was greg tolan who also of course what a year later did citizen kane and at that point he had already won for uh, wuthering heights and he was actually nominated that year for another john ford from the long voyage home which yes is another beautiful movie and, and he to- shot the best years of our lives Yes! And and so you think he's working with Orson Welles in his prime. He's working with John Ford in his prime. He's working Just, with William Wilder. In yeah, his prime. and William Wilder in his prime. Like, and these are all men 
who were master filmmakers. And also, Greg Tolan apparently died super young. Wait. I mean, he, he did cinematography in the movies you learn about in college when you're studying cinematography, and they use the movies that he did to be like, this is what great groundbreaking cinematography is. So that was my pick for cinematography. And really, absolutely. especially because of that one scene. Yeah, absolutely deserving. And that whole movie is just like a masterwork of lighting like every shot of jane darwell and oh heartbreaking because not only do you have the camera work you have her acting where on her face she's showing 75 different emotions without saying anything when she's putting the earrings on and her face is lit up oh my god forget it it's so good so good so, so good. And th- even despite all that, my winner is Rebecca. Which I also can't argue. Yeah. It's just the way the house looks and the close-ups of Joan Fontaine's face, it is She glows. It's like she has eight lights in her face shining outwards. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Brilliant work from George Barnes. (laughs) And the close-ups of Judith Anderson. (laughs) And that crazy face when she's showing her the lingerie. She's like, look, you can see my hand through the fabric or whatever. And you're like, oh my gosh. It's part of what made her such a great villain. Oh. One of the great villains of cinema. Ever. Ever. Yes. I mean, she is so amazing. Ah, Judith Anderson, we love you. Yeah. So next is best art direction. I'm going with The Thief of Baghdad because it's big, it's glorious, it's... Hollywood filmmaking and all of its big, gorgeous, spectacular splendor. Nice. I went with Rebecca. Interesting. The house is a character in and of itself. And the immaculate detail and the gothic just the gothic atmosphere and the genuine sense that this is like some haunted vacation house yeah they really captured it and to not capture it the film wouldn't be successful because it has to be that way and if you screw that up the entire point of the entire movie is in the toilet yeah so next we have best makeup I picked, again, The Thief of Baghdad. However, I do want to make a note to the movie The Letter, which also had good makeup. However, it was basically yellow face and super offensive, which is why I did not pick it. However, 
the way they made that woman look, they really did make her look scary. However, it was all horrible stereotypes. Awful, awful, super offensive. Yes, I, yeah. However, they were successful in making her look scary. That's all I'm going to say. But yeah. I needed to give that shout out. But The Thief of Baghdad, again, spectacular. And I'm sure there's a lot, there's a lot of brown face in it. But it's big. It's a spectacle. The hair, the makeup, the co- it's all over the top. I also went with The Thief of Baghdad for the same reasons as you. But yeah, that character in the letter was like la- almost laughably offensive because you're like, really? We have to do this? Yeah. Every st- every stereotype, every trope was uh, in this one character. Uh, did Gail Sonnegaard play this character? I don't remember who played that part, but it was just awful. And the way that they kept calling her the like the dragon lady, you're like, please stop, shut up, stop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I that mean, was, that was oh hard god, fast. it really, really, really was awful, uh, awful. So, um. Yeah. Uh, did I mention yes. that I also have the Thief of Baghdad winning? You didn't, but yes. Of course you do, because oh. it was that kind of movie. Yeah. It was designed to win technical awards. Yeah, just big, grand, old Hollywood spectacle at its best. So next we have Best Costume Design. Okay. Uh... <laughs> This is getting boring. The Thief of Baghdad, because obviously. And I Big also have splashy. The thief of... oh. Yeah. I also have the Thief of Baghdad. And it is interesting that this wins for both of us over more traditional mm-hmm. uh, costuming, like All This in Heaven 2 and Pride and Prejudice, and even Rebecca and Waterloo Bridge would have been more traditional choices. Yeah. Because of all the- but those are but those are boring. But again, a shout out to the Philadelphia story to Adrian and whoever did the hat for Rosalind Russell. You'll always yeah. be in my heart. I guess it's a matter of how effective the costumes are within each film. Because I do yeah. know in the um in the previous episode I went with something that you could consider more traditional for my costume mm-hmm. winner to Gone with the Wind over oh, yeah. Wizard of Oz. Which That's a tough call. And I heard your discussion on that with um I wanna call her by her Twitter by her Twitter handle. Chelsea name. Yeah. I just want to call her Chels because that's how I know her on Twitter and, and mm. but I don't want to be overly familiar, but yeah, it's the dress that she made out of the drapes. Got to give it to her for that. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> but I would fight to the death that Margaret Hamilton deserved possibly even a Best Supporting Actress win. Because if you think about what we think about witches, Mar- we think about Margaret Hamilton with the hat and the green skin and the black dress. Sorry, got yeah. off on a tangent. Yeah. She's amazing. No 
that was a tough year for supporting actress. Yeah. So next is best sound recording. I don't know a whole lot about this technology, but I'm going with His Girl Friday because of the rapid dialogue. And that's pretty much it. That's my reason. There was rapid dialogue. I could hear it. Okay, let's give it an award. So my winner is The Thief of Baghdad. And I'm not sure if I can do much explaining here. It's just brilliant. You could hear it. So next we have Best Original Song, which... I'm not sure there's going to be much suspense here. Uh, Close call for me between the Pinocchio songs. Because now I'm thinking High Diddly D and Actor's Life for Me is also super catchy. But When You Wish Upon a Star! So iconic! They use it at the beginning of every single Disney movie. It's like, if you could take the entire company of Disney and boil it all down to one song, it would be When You Wish Upon a Star. Yes. And... That's why I also went with um, When You Wish Upon a Star. It's just one of the absolute most iconic songs ever. Ever! So next ever! We have, yeah. So next we have Best Original Score. I had Pinocchio... Because, and not just because of the songs, but like I said, my son absolutely loves this movie, so I've watched it 107 times. All of the music in the opening, when they're in the toy shop, and the clocks are ticking, and it's just such a rich, sumptuous score. It really is. And then they have the amazing songs on top of that, but especially that opening in Geppetto's toy shop is just unreal it's so so it has a depth that so many scores don't have yes i also went with pinocchio for all the reasons you just listed there's just a level of depth and i almost want to compare to that uh like that wall of sounds technique that was pioneered in the 60s it is just that it is just that level of attention to detail and arrangements and the way it incorporates the songs into the score so effectively and even that like da 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 and it has the chimes of the music boxes and the cuckoo clocks and like the the fish blowing and almost humming along to the song in the water. It's just unreal, man. It's so beautiful. Absolutely. I'm so very passionate about this movie. It absolutely does not get the credit that it deserves. Everybody's like, The Lion King, The Lion King. It's like, no, really go back to 1940 and see what Disney did with Pinocchio. 
Yeah. You know? Excellent point. It's just my humble opinion. And you're not wrong. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very confident in this in this that Pinocchio is probably the best of all. So next we have best foreign film. Okay. Um the well de- the well digger's daughter. I don't really have any thoughts. I just researched it and it sounded like the best one. I'm owning this. Yeah. I did the same. Like <laughs> I'm pretty sure that real life academy voters do the same thing all the time. Mhm. Yeah. So next we have I really made an effort though. Yeah. So next Okay. Best adapted screenplay. Okay. Let's start with any of these would deserve an Academy Award. However, I gave it to His Girl Friday, and here's why. Because The Grapes of Wrath and Rebecca, both well done, were based on books, and they did a decent job. The Grapes of Wrath, I'm not giving any spoilers away, but the end of that book is so harrowing and so depressing thank goodness that they did not actually put in what actually happens at the end rebecca very good his girl friday is one of like two examples of a remake that is as good or better than the original which was the 1930s film and play the front page they they made it different they added, they made Hildy a woman, so they changed it enough to make it its own unique work of art. And they elevated it because the movie's amazing. Absolutely. So that is why that is my win for best adapted screenplay. I went with the Philadelphia story because. Good pick. I do, I did a lot of what I imagine you do a lot of. Just. To, Mm-hmm. In terms of just thinking of how am I going to reward each film and each performer in each of these years. And I just thought, if I'm going to give the Philadelphia story anything, it's got to be that screenplay. Which, I don't think it gets enough credit in terms of its dialogue is not... It was ya. It was ya. She was ya. Yeah, it is not... The best use of the word yar. (laughs) Yeah. But my point is, it could easily go wrong if it is not on point in every angle. If the actors aren't delivering it perfectly. Oh. If the the stage to screen adaptation isn't to the point. And this screenplay just works. Because every element... Is on point, and all the other nominees would be worthy as well. Like, wh- like you, what, what you said about Friday, changing Hildy to a woman, and updating everything, and elevating it, and just making it so special. And then the Grapes of Wrath, adapting it as well as it could within the constraints of the Hayes Code, and move, and even just moving beyond that. And And making it more uplifting than wanting to jump off the roof of your house at the end. Because that's pretty much what you want to do after you read the book. 
it gives you it gives you hope and that final monologue of tom jode and then the final monologue that mrs jode gives forget it they're amazing and delivered by jane darwell and henry fonda yeah uh, speaking but of- drunk, drunk Jimmy Stewart talking to Cary Grant is one of my all-time favorite movie scenes. It's just so delicious and wonderful and perfect. Wonderful. So- and they're both hot. Just needed to say that. They're so hot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so hot. C.K. Dexter Haven! Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous how, and then you know, and then there's Henry Fonda with those big eyes that Greg Toland is lighting, and that deep voice. Oh my gosh, he also was so so hot. I mean, it's just too much, too many handsome men in 1940. Yes. <laughs> Where have they all gone? I know men who wear clothes that fit. Oh, <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Speaking of Jane Darwell, though, we have Best Supporting Actress next. Okay, here we go. Uh, I did, and again, this is wrestling it, and in five minutes I'd pick the other one. Jane Darwell, Grapes of Wrath. She should have gone lead. She really was the lead of that movie, but she didn't win. Judith Anderson, again, it's a coin flip. They were both just as good. Both are just as iconic. And elevated their roles so well. The entire movie Rebecca would not work without Judith Anderson. You could almost have a couple different actresses play the second Mrs. DeWinter. But Judith Anderson and her obsession. Joan Fontaine wouldn't be able to do well if Mrs. Danvers wasn't as creepy as she was. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Rebecca's one of those movies. Because the whole thing is, is yeah, is everybody fawning over the or the first Mrs. DeWinter and Judith Anderson. Very queer-coded, too. Was she in love with her? I don't know. Possibly. Yeah, it is. It is one of, Rebecca, it is one of a, another one of those movies where everything has to be on point. Especially the villain. Like, if the villain isn't as creepy and mysterious as possible everything else just feels less interesting as a result and thankfully Mrs. De Winter I'll keep reiterating it reiterating it but one of the best villains ever put to screen or of all time that said my winner is Jane Darwell for the Grapes of Wrath in any other year Judith Anderson would be my winner but Oh, always. When it comes to Jane Darwell, she anchors that movie. And she's currently my favorite supporting actress winner of all time. Yes. And she's amazing. It's a shame that neither of them had that opportunity with the Academy again. The only other movie I can even think of Jane Darwell being in was she played Mrs. Merriweather in um, Gone with the Wind. Uh, She did have... That's it, and that's only because I've seen the movie 117,000 times. Uh, She did... And I've read the book just as much. Yeah. She did have roles in uh, films like the Oxbow Incident and... Uh, Miss Mary Poppins and 
Um, oh, she's the bird Western. lady. Come on. And if, if you don't cry at the bird lady song, I'm questioning if you have a soul uh, because that <laughs> song is like soul crushing. Yeah. And then Judith. And more people need to see the Oxbow incident. Sorry. I'm passionate about that movie. People oh, yeah. need to see that movie because it's really very powerful. And another great Henry Fonda film that he should have been nominated for an award for. Yeah, absolutely. Like, <sighs> Henry so good. So hot. Definitely check it out. But, and with Judith Anderson, again, she definitely should have been nominated more times. Like, she was in Edge of Darkness. She was in. Laura, she was in um, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. That would have been a great moment for her. Yeah. But for her to win for anything other than Rebecca really would have been wrong because, oh, she's so good. With the, with the lingerie again when she has her hand under it. Look, you can see right through it. And John Fontaine is like, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. Oh, so good. So next is Best Supporting Actor. I had John Carradine for The Grapes of Wrath, and I'm shocked he wasn't actually nominated. As am I. Like, how does this So powerful. How does this nomination not happen? Like, it's shocking. It's shocking. Like, I saw Foreign Correspondent and The Letter, and I'm like, these dudes were nominated? And honestly, the entire cast of The Grapes of Wrath pretty much all could have gotten nominations. Like I said, the guy who played Muley, the dude at the beginning in the house with the match, he was great, and he's in the movie for about three minutes. Yeah. But John Carradine, for me, was powerful and a very i like that he's a man of god but he also has lost his faith and just so good and there's a reason he's cast in like everything he was in like eight billion movies yeah uh, i've seen him in films like uh the prisoner of shark island and hitler's madman the latter of which is a really strange movie an early movie from douglas sir Oh, Douglas Sirk. Yeah. The master behind Written on the Wind and all that. was an invitation of life. Mm-hmm. But. Oh, yeah. I went with George Sanders and Rebecca. And I had to think <laughs> hard about this. John Carradine is wonderful. Like. Nobody else could have played Jim Casey like John Carradine. No. And I just thought, I am nominating Rebecca across the board in the acting categories. And do I want to give it one acting award? And I just thought, George Sanders plays this really just fun role that's <laughs> <laughs> really helps to lighten the mood of Rebecca and I just thought <laughs> why not and it was a tough call 
because they're both excellent. And if you can't give it to Judith Anderson, who, let's face it, if you're going to give anybody from that movie an award, Judith Anderson is the one that stands out the most. Well, true. In my humble opinion. But it was just a tough call for me to make. Mm-hmm. So next is Best Actress. Okay, I am going to give a little tiny shout out to Ginger Rogers, who was very good in Kitty Foyle. And considering I only ever thought about her as like a dancer, good for her. But Rosalind Russell, his girl Friday, and that was kind of a tough pick between Joan Fontaine and Catherine Hepburn that year. But Rosalind Russell is peak Rosalind Russell. She's a strong, independent, fierce woman who can get the job done. And win a man at the same time. Yeah. I went with Rosalind Russell as well. This is just like peak Rosalind Russell. Arguably her signature role. And. Yes. She's just fantastic. And that she never won. What's up with that? Either this or my other favorite is uh, Auntie Mame. Because in Auntie Mame she plays who I want to be in life. I want to be larger than life and fabulous. But if she, if she was going to win for anything, it had to either be that or his girl Friday, which she wasn't even nominated for. What's up with that? It is strange that his girl Friday just got completely blanked across the board. Same with another, uh, well, I guess bringing a baby was somewhat more understandable. Wait, was his girl Friday not a hit? I don't think it was a hit either. I have to look that up. I would be surprised by that. But bringing a baby, yeah, box office poison. But... Oh, and this is the first Howard Hawks film I ever saw. Nice job, Howard Hawks. There's a reason why you're such a famous director. But we'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah, it is strange that His Girl Friday just got completely overlooked. I guess the Philadelphia story was uh, just decided... We can just have one screwball comedy and then we'll nominate our town. (sighs) Which is actually painful to watch. I hate that play. I hate that play. I hate that play. Uh, Hate. I hate. (laughs) I could do an eight-part podcast series on why that play is actually terrible. Yeah. Ah, uh, the theater major in me is coming out. Watch out, everyone. Yeah. So. Okay, best yeah. actor? This was hard. Henry Fonda, The Grapes of Wrath. He just encapsulated that character so good. And I have to say again, on record, he was so handsome, I can't even stand it. But he played just a very complicated role because here's a guy who has murdered someone and but he's a guy of integrity and he wants to set out and make the world a better place in that quiet like I have dignity. But a lot of people dump on Jimmy Stewart winning for the Philadelphia story and I'm going to defend him because he's hilarious in that movie. He is so funny in that movie, and I don't understand the hate. Like, yes, maybe he should have won for a different role, but he was still awesome in the Philadelphia story, so shut up, haters, but I'd still give it to Henry Fonda. 
Yeah, I also went with Henry Fonda. For he is Tom Joad. Yes. And yes. I don't know who else was considered for this role, but nobody could have played it the way Henry Fonda does. The only other actor I could see is like Gary Cooper, but Gary Cooper doesn't have that. Gary Cooper seems almost too strong to play the vulnerability of Tom Joad. Yeah. Despite the fact that he has that great everyman quality, but Henry Fonda has the vulnerability and maybe it's those incredible eyes that he has, but he has that softness too. Absolutely true. So next is best director. All right. I have John Ford for The Grapes of Wrath. Because it's just, everything works in that movie, and I forgive how they changed it into a movie. I see why they made the changes that they had to, but they still completely captured the spirit of the book. And they didn't sugarcoat the ending, but they still gave you a little bit of a feeling of optimism. Like, guess what? You know, like, we're Americans, and... Everything really stinks right now, but we're the people and we're going to carry on because that's what people do. And guess what? That's reality. You look at what we're living with now. Things are awful right now, but the human spirit still needs to move forward. And that's why that movie in 2021 is still so effective. It is. Absolutely. And And John Ford. I mean, such a great director. It's almost not fair. And co-signing everything you said John Ford is he brings everything to that movie it is such a poetic experience and I had to go with Alfred Hitchcock for Rebecca which is and a very worthy pick I just feel like this stands out in his filmography. And he had a legendary filmography, as we all know. This movie feels unique in how he had to work with David O. Selznick and who had a pretty distinctive style. Which was not easy. And he managed to make that work. He maintains the atmosphere and keeps us invested in the mystery. And this is a damn great opening for his American filmography. Yes. This was definitely him. See, I feel... Oh, you go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I keep cutting you off. I just get too passionate about all this stuff. No, and I agree with everything you said. I just feel like when I look at his career, if I was going to give it to him for anything, I would want it to be more of a Hitchcock film than an adaptation of a book that was already really famous and popular. And I feel like that. I feel like there's certain directors that I wish would win for the film that they do in their own style rather than some other film. Like, it bothers me that the Coen brothers won for, like... No Country for Old Men instead of a film like Fargo. It bothers me that Scorsese won for The Departed instead of something like Goodfellas. You know what I'm saying? I 
And so I feel like if Hitchcock was going to win, I would want it to be for something like Rear Window or Psycho. Which I see that point. Although he did have tough competition in 1954 and 1960. He did. I completely agree. Because I'm also a gigantic Billy Wilder fan girl. The biggest. But with Rebecca... Yeah, that's true. And then he was up against... He would have been up against Kazan in 1954, which that's another one. So, yeah, with Rebecca, I feel like he was honing in his skills. And this felt like a great refinery moment for him. And... Mm -hmm. He just does everything he needs to do to make that movie a classic and iconic piece of work. So next is Best Picture. This is going to get real boring, but The Grapes of Wrath, for all of the reasons I've just said, it's such a great piece. It's such a great American film, and I think it really captures our country as far as, like, most of us are not the 1%. Most of us are the people just trying to get through day-to-day and to survive and to feed our families and just do the best that we can do. And there's so many scenes, like when they're in the restaurant and they give the kids the candy and they're like, oh, this is just penny candy. But in reality, it's like nickel or dime candy. And the guy buys it for them just to give the kids like some little bit of hope. And those little moments and the moments of humor when the kids go into the bathrooms, the public bathrooms for the first time. And they're just so amazed that you have this humor that does exist under these dire circumstances. And it prevents the movie from just being too depressing. So, and the performances, oh my goodness, it's so good. And the use of music, brilliant. Yeah. So that's my pick. pick. And I completely understand it. I went with. Rebecca. It all comes back down to The Grapes of Wrath versus Rebecca. Yeah. It almost feels unfair to the other movies that. But at the same time, completely understandable. But there is just something timeless to this sort of story. In a way that's both similar and mm-hmm. different from the Grapes of Wrath. Oh, yeah. And they're yeah. both masterpieces. I mean, you can't... And It's just, what are you in yeah. the mood for? And there is something universal about not being able to express your true love for someone. For mm-hmm. a variety of reasons, whether it's societal expectations or personal insecurities and a multitude of other reasons. And this movie does justice. Mm -hmm. And the feeling of inadequacy, how she's this totally normal person trying to live up to this goddess that everyone and was everyone in love with her. Yeah. And and she's so isolated. Because even her husband I mean, 
Laurence Olivier really nailed that, like, I'm aloof, and you can never penetrate my barriers. Because so much in the movie, I'm like, does he love her? I don't know. Because it doesn't it, seem like it. He's so great at keeping that mystery. And yes. I think it is a testament to how both sides of the coin are equally compelling. Either Maximilian's quite brooding, or the interplay between Mrs. De Winter and Mrs. Danvers. Just that simmering tension and wondering when you're going to get a release. And it actually feels satisfying when you get that yep. release. And a lot needs to be said about Fontaine's performance, that she's not this simpering weakling, which she easily could have been had she been played by a lesser actress, but that you see that constant torment in her face. Yeah. Of nothing I do is good enough. Nothing I do is good enough. And when when she when Mrs. Danvers is like trying to get her to commit suicide. That is chilling. It's like she's playing or like a violin. It's like a violin. She knows exactly what to say, but she's not yelling. She's so calm and so in control, and that's yeah. what makes her terrifying. And you and Joan Fontaine isn't falling apart. You just see her mind working and like being hypnotized. It's it's one of the best acted scenes ever. Because if that was done poorly, again, the movie yeah. would be terrible. Carol Lombard was considered for Mrs. De Winter, and I, I just don't think anyone else could have played Mrs. De Winter as well as Fontaine. I feel like Fontaine was just the most perfect actress to play a role like Mrs. De Winter. Possibly her sister Olivia de Havilland. Possibly, because I now now that I'm thinking about it, possibly not not the same, but De Havilland has a very good way of playing vulnerable yet deceptively very strong women. You see that in Gone with the Wind, and you see it in The Heiress. Which, oh my gosh, I could spend an hour talking about that movie. It's so good. But it's hard to play those roles because roles like Melanie Wilkes and roles like the second Mrs. DeWinter, it's a very fine line between simpering and annoying and fragile. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It is very difficult. And both of those women play fragile very, very well because you love those characters and they are very strong despite their fragility. And either a lesser actress would have made Melanie Wilkes unbearable. And the same thing with Mrs. DeWinter. We're with her. We're on that ride with her. And we get it. And she's so alone. Absolutely. And she plays that so well. I might need to rethink my best actress winner. She was great. It's just hard. And Catherine Hepburn in the Philadelphia story Catherine is like, Hepburn. that's like peak. That's Catherine Hepburn at her best. Yes. If I could take, I mean, she did not deserve it for On Golden Pond. She did not deserve it for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. She did. She would have been a worthy winner for put, the Philadelphia Story. This is one time where I would have been I like, okay, how she won for Morning Glory instead of Little Women, even though I did give an answer to some people about this, but. 
uh, just to go on a quick tangent, she's just so perfectly cast and just wonderful and heartbreaking as Joe March and George Cooper's adaptation of Little Women that you wonder how that was was the role that won her first Academy Award. Why it was a film like Morning Glory, which is it is kind of shocking and for good reason. Yeah. Hepburn was remarkable. For yeah. Reasons. She was, but guess who's coming to dinner and on Golden Pond, please. She absolutely did not deserve either one of those. She got both of those for I nostalgia just, reasons. Yeah. And there's no way she... I don't think she would have won for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner if they had known that she was going to do The Lion in, the, in Winter the I next year. On Golden Pond, uh, but I've only seen her and Diane Keaton in that lineup. And She's fine. Keaton so far. Oh, Diane Keaton. That's one of her best performances ever. Ever. Uh, I, she was so good. And in 1967, she beat Anne Bancroft as Mrs. Robinson. Are you kidding me? And Faye Dunaway? Really performance. And considering what she won, I do wonder how she didn't win for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. Oh, the Academy. <laughs> we love you. You torture us, and yet we always uh, come did back. Did we announce our winners <laughs> for original screenplay? I don't think we did. I think let me look at my notes um I don't know I, I had too. the great dictator and that feels like the right winner that's it yeah. I don't have a whole lot to that's say That year was the year yeah. of the adapted well, screenplay. The Let's face it. The only reasonable answer for original screenplay. It's Chaplin. And we need to give that. F yeah, we need to give that movie an yeah. award. So that would have been the one that I would have given it. So. Yeah, this was such a great year. And I am. I am happy. It about, was. Uh, most of the top categories um, for the Academy this year. Especially a film like Rebecca, which is not your typical Best Picture winner. Like, The Grapes of Wrath would have been yes. more mine was what the Academy uh, liked to reward around that time. Like, even the next year, Without Green Was My Valley, that is definitely more in line with what the Academy rewarded than Rebecca. Yes. And John Ford would get his third <laughs> Best Directing Award. Yeah. Oh, John Ford, we love you. Category. Yep. Hmm. But everybody loved him. Everyone was like, he was the best. Kurosawa was like, John Ford was the best. And Orson Welles was like, John Ford is the best. Because he was. He was he was an excellent filmmaker, even though a lot of times he did westerns, which yeah. is not my genre. But I still respect him because he was brilliant. Because he got those emotional performances. He wasn't all about spectacle, but like you look at Stagecoach, there's amazing, amazing spectacle in Stagecoach. And it's so well constructed. 
Oh, and then we get into his later win of uh, The Quiet Man, which is yeah. such a lovely film. But that's a whole yeah. tangent that I will not go on right now. <laughs> so. Oh, I could spend an hour on Maureen O'Hara and how, and how she was devastatingly beautiful she is in that film. Yes, what's up with that? I think it's jealous because she was so ravishingly beautiful. So, I guess it's now time to get into um, questions that we got from our audience. Owen Daly asked three questions. Um, which Cary Grant co-star gives the best performance? Rosalind Russell, Catherine Hepburn, Irene Dunn, My Favorite Wife. <sighs> That's really tough. And I posted something on Twitter earlier today that Cary Grant is one of those actors who has smoldering chemistry with every single actress that he is on screen with. Um, um, what were the choices? Did he well, say Ingrid Bergman? I, um, they just listed um, uh, Rosalind Russell. Yeah, for this year. Oh, for this year? I would say Russell because he and Russell looked like not only did he love her, but he looked like he was having the most fun with her. And a lot of that's also Howard Hawks and it's also the screenplay. Like they crackle together. And the stage business of at the beginning of the Philadelphia story, when she goes into the office and then they're leaving the office, you know, and he's a little bit ahead of her and they have to do the timing of when he's opening the thing for her to walk through just it's just great they're just on fire together so i would say for 1940 rosalind russell side yeah. note i would also say jimmy stewart because his chemistry with jimmy stewart in that scene where jimmy stewart <laughs> is drunk is i would say yeah. jimmy stewart over any of the other ones rosalind russell of the ones that are listed but him and jimmy stewart in uh the philadelphia story are hysterical together and i think they they had better chemistry than either of them which i can see with katherine hepburn like, I wanted yeah, a spinoff yeah. where those two go off and just have mayhem. That would have been fun. Okay, so next is, why didn't Vivian Lee receive an afterglow nom for Waterloo Bridge following her success as Scarlet? Um, because there were other nominees who were She's better, oh. obviously. Because if we're not nominating Rosalind Russell for His Girl Friday... We're not nominating Vivian Lee. Mm. She's very That's just my humble opinion. But mm, it was just I'm a sure she is. And <laughs> but <laughs> someone just had to miss Yeah. Out. She's very good in uh, that Hamilton woman. Not to spoil anything, but the next year she's fantastic in that Hamilton woman. But coming off of Scarlett O'Hara, which in my humble opinion is the number one performance of all time for females. I think that is like the, the hamlet of female roles in film. She was never going to reach that again. She gave great performances, but Scarlett O'Hara is a once-in-a-lifetime performance. Scarlett 
if and I feel the same way, like if Gloria Swanson had won for um Sunset Boulevard, she would be like yeah. the number two performance of all time. Cause you just when you embody a character so much and a character that's that complicated where you're going from 16 years old to like 28 and you starve and you, we see her starve. We see her in love. We see her embarrass herself. We see her flirt. We see her get kicked time and time again and rise up. There's no character like that. And so to have to come back and do something else just as big is just not going to happen. Uh, I can see your point with that. And no one I loves Vivian Lee more than me. If it's a bit unfair to just define her as just all oh, these two iconic characters and just uh, nothing else matters, but I can still kind of see it because Scarlett O'Hara and Blanche Dubois are such iconic roles and taking them on and uh-huh. Defining them with your portrayals. That could be daunting, I imagine. It exactly. And in a oh, movie yes, that was that anticipated just I mean and it's not an easy role. Like I said, she's not just pretty and fun. I The thing I love most about Scarlett O'Hara is that she's so flawed. That she totally makes a fool of herself. But she has to keep getting up and going. And that she's not perfect. That's what I love about her. And Vivian Lee is so beautiful. There's that. But... And it's, it's, it's good and it's bad because... As an actor, what do you want? Do you want a lot of interesting roles that are good? Or do you want one or two roles that are so iconic that people can't see you in anything else, but you have those roles that people are always going to remember? Like, if James Gandolfini was alive, how would he ever get over being Tony Soprano? Because that's what we see him as, and he's one of the most iconic you know, TV characters yeah. ever. Definitely. You know? And she wasn't, in, to me, Vivian Lee wasn't in all that many movies. Yeah. She wasn't like a Catherine Hepburn who was in like five movies every year for 50 years. And Betty Davis, yeah, who was, was in five movies stage. a year, every Before year for 50 years. To be fair. So. Exactly. So I don't think she had the chance to do that. And we don't have a wide range of things. We didn't see her in like romantic comedies and musicals and all the things that everyone so, else pretty um, much did. Owen's final question was, why was the reimagining of the front page, His Girl Friday, such a genius decision? Because it gave us the chemistry between yes. Hildy and Walter. And the fact that she, and also, <laughs> the, subplot, the subplot of Ralph Bellamy continuously getting arrested, that's hilarious! And that he's such a nice, soft-spoken guy, and he just keeps getting thrown in jail, that's hysterically funny. 
So it just adds a whole nother element to it. And it seemed natural and not forced. It wasn't like, yeah, oh, we have to work in a romance here. Let's shove street. these two together. That didn't happen here because Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell just work so well together. Oh, sparkling, sparkling. And that she loved it and that it was it wasn't him fawning over her with love that it's he knew her enough to know that she didn't really want a quiet life she didn't want to go away and live upstate to an insurance salesman she loved the work and not and he loved her enough and respected her enough to give her what she really wanted because when she's on the phone the scenes where she's on the phone and there's like three different phones and she's like juggling them and talking real fast into all of them She's so happy. Like, she's totally in her element, and she's such a natural. And so he loves yeah. her, but he also gives her her passion. It's wonderful. It's so good. It's, it's so So, good. asked, who do you think came in second place for best actress? I would say Catherine Hepburn. I would say Joan Fontaine. Yeah. Because it was the big comeback role for Hepburn. Really? In the narrative that she was labeled box office poison during her RKO period. Uh, She bought the rights to the Philadelphia story, the play. Oh, RKO. And basically engineered her own comeback. And... And she also won the New York She's a smart woman. Award... And my knowledge may not go beyond that, but there was a lot riding on the narrative for Hepburn, even at the time. So. That is interesting. I could see, I I can completely see that. Also, side note, I read somewhere, and I don't know if this is true, but I swear I read this somewhere, that she originally wanted Spencer Tracy and Clark Gable to play the leading men in that film. What Cary Grant and James Stewart brought. It would have been (laughs) awful. It would have been terrible. Because Spencer Tracy was a very good actor. He is not swoon-worthy. And Jimmy Stewart and Cary Grant at their peak, and these were men that maintained their looks their entire lives. Like, there was never a period where they went downhill. But, no. Neither of, yeah. Well, no, Clark Gable. Clark Gable I could see as Dexter. But Spencer Tracy, no. No. He always looked like her grandfather. Yeah, but uh, she was in love with him, big time. Like I said, don't quote yeah, me on that, but I swear I read that before. I just imagined how does. I'm I looking am it surprised up now. That, uh, now that I now that you mentioned that, I, I am kind of surprised that uh, Clark Gable never made a movie with Catherine Hepburn. But. I don't see them together. (laughs) 
I'm looking it up now to see if this is true. Okay, so what's the next question? Oh, um, so Chelsea Eichels asked, um, was this Best Actor win earned, or does it feel like a makeup award? My opinions on this have changed. I'm sort of torn. It definitely seems like a makeup award because I think he totally should have gotten it for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. However, after watching the movie again, Stuart really was delightful in this movie. And he was funny and he gave some great monologues and it's far more deserved than people give it credit for. That's just my opinion. I think he deserves a lot more credit for it. That scene where he's just drunk with Cary Grant, that is the funniest thing ever. Okay. What do you think? Here we go. Spencer Tracy, according to Internet Movie... Oh, I think he According is. to Internet Movie look. Database, Spencer Tracy turned down James Stewart's role because he was eager to make Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. What? Which was I choice? can't see him in that part at all. At all, do you? Uh, I guess he would have played him as angry, but he certainly doesn't have the awshuck spoofy quality that made James Stewart. Here, so okay, here right. we go. Some think, and this is again according to an Internet Movie Database, with director George Cukar on board, Catherine Hepburn's first choice of car star Clark Gable, I knew I knew this, was never going to be possi a possibility because Gable allegedly had Curecore fired from Gone with the Wind because he allegedly detested the director's oh, yeah. obvious homosexuality. In reality, Cukor was dismissed from Gone oh. with the Wind because of repeated clashes with David Oselznick, and Gable was simply busy with other projects. So yes, Clark Gable was supposed to be the original Dexter and Spencer Tracy as Mike. I absolutely do. What is she thinking? That's insane. That would have been terrible. She just loved Spencer Tracy. Come on, lady. Use your brain. Yeah, that would have... Yeah, the, the whole dynamic would have to change in order to make that pairing work. Because as presented, it I don't think it would have no. the same impact. It's just because Stuart... Yes! Charm ...and the goofiness. And he was hot! And the against typecasting... The against typecasting is what made yes. that character work so well for him. And Cary Grant is Cary Grant. And... I, Why would you want to change that? She's insane. It's like, in some ways, she was so smart. But it's like, when it came to Spencer Tracy, all of her intelligence just went out the window. Because it's like, really? No. Uh, sorry, that was really bothering me. And since we're talking about the Philadelphia well, story, I needed to get that on the record. <laughs> well, 
Her co-stars in the original Broadway production were Joseph Cotton as Dexter Haven, Ben Heflin as Mike Connor, and Shirley Booth as Liz Embry. Yes, the boring character. character. I feel so bad for her character. Oh, I'm not going to marry you because that frump next to you is in, is in love with you. Oh, okay, I guess I'll marry the frump who nobody wants. It's such a pathetic role. God. That's why I would have given the supporting nomination to Dinah, because she at least was hysterically funny. Yeah, she is a scenes dealer. So, um, uh, Chelsea, she also added, Cary Grant is our hottest snub. I don't know how it happened. I have no idea Um, how that happened. Please explain this to me. Um, I think it's a, a sort of a case of slap stud. Maybe. I've never heard that expression, but it makes sense because he was gorgeous and brilliant I and mean, charismatic and funny. And when you consider some of the uh, nominees from uh, when he had the clo- when he came closest to nominations for like the awful truth. Yes. And this year, like. Raymond Massey really? and Blake and Raymond Illinois. Massey. Um, <laughs> and then there's in nineteen thirty seven, I guess Charles Boyer and Alphiers, maybe. Charles Boyer. And it's just Oh well no, that was Conquest and Algiers. <laughs> Conquest in nineteen thirty seven and Algiers in nineteen thirty eight. And But I can see People thinking that what Cary Grant was doing was just being himself and not really acting because he had such an easy charm about him. You know what I'm saying? So they might just think, oh, he's just playing Cary Grant. But I could see people thinking that, that he's just playing himself. He just happens to actually be the most dashing, charming man who ever lived. But that's what people think about when they yes. think of Cary Grant. I mean, Tony Curtis doing basically doing a Tony uh, Cary Grant impression in Some Like It Hot. And I saw Tony Curtis. He's like, I always wanted to be Cary Grant because he was so suave and so amazing and perfect. Yeah. And maybe because, you know, what's his, uh, Jimmy Stewart had that whole drunk scene and stuff. Maybe they were like, okay, well. You know, he's acting more than Cary Grant is because Cary Grant doesn't seem to be acting. He's just playing himself. <sighs> Academy, what are you thinking? Or maybe they were yeah. jealous. Like he's yeah. devastatingly handsome and perfect <laughs> and charming. Screw him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of strange Yeah. So, um, do you have an. Do you have any final thoughts on just this year as a whole? Like the decisions the Academy made? It's a really powerful year for films. I was really glad and honored that you asked me to do this year because it gave me a chance to rewatch a lot of favorites. Um, People need to go see Foreign Correspondent because that movie is actually really, really good and I'm embarrassed that I'd never heard of it. The total snubbing of everything... His Girl Fridays makes me angry. But other than that, it 
there's some really solid choices. And if Katherine Hepburn had won Best Actress, I really wouldn't have begrudged that. It was such a tight year of great performances across the board. It really was. And I'll just go sign everything you said. I feel like, just like 1939, this was a game changer of a year. A revolutionary year for the film industry. Mm. So, um, Amy, thank you so much for appearing on this podcast. It was an honor. Vast wealth of knowledge. And I just appreciate you just sharing all this knowledge and this passion. (laughs) So thank you so much. You're welcome. How do we find you on social media? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at a Thomason 11, a T H O M A S S O N. And I am often giving my opinions on films. (laughs) Awesome. So, um, you can find me on Twitter at Gabe the Joker with two underscores. You can find me on Instagram at Gabe Warren with a single underscore. You can find me on Letterboxd at Mr. Hulo. And be sure to follow the account for the podcast at Alternate Oscars. Be sure to rate and review this podcast for visibility's sake. Subscribe to whatever service you usually use. I'm also a writer for Keith Loves Movies, and I just had a review for the Cider House Rules published, so please check that out. Until the next episode, sit back and relax, cheers and enjoy, and thank you for listening to the alternate Oscars. <laughs>